0: Joseph. I love being on here with you guys, Nick and Joe. I really appreciate it. God like damn it, Nick. TLDR, you guys are awesome. Joe, there's a company that we've talked about quite a bit on this show, but it's taken us a little while to get a creator from this company on our show to talk about some of their projects that they're working on over there at TKO Studios. Of course, the first book that I talked about from TKO was Sarah? There's been a ton of other awesome stuff that we've talked about on this show. The current, the person we're talking to today, Joe, has written three books for TKO, but done a little bit more. I think you have his whole uh, his whole rap sheet in front of you right now. Yeah, he's
1: also the co-founder of TKO Studios. He wrote a book that you talked about, Seven Deadly Sins, um, and also the fearsome Doctor Fang. Uh, he's also produced, uh, been a producer for the show Gotham, and wrote on ABC's Once Upon a Time. Z Chun, how you doing? Did I do it again? Did I fuck no, up No, again? it's good. It's good. All right, good. good. <laughs> we'll how you doing? That in. That's good. That's good. Yeah. How
0: you, how you doing, Z? I'm good. Good. I'm good. So so we're, of course, talking to you today about the Forgotten Blade. The artist on this is Tony Fajula and the letter of Jeff Powell. Actually, have you done a couple of, of TKO books with Jeff previously?
2: Yes. Um, Jeff. Jeff also does a lot of our production management. And so he's done quite a few titles with us. Um when we work with a creator that we like, you know, we we kind of we try to bring them in on multiple projects. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And of course, the synopsis for the Forgotten Blade, which Joe and I did get a chance to look at the entire thing uh, before sitting down and talking with you. An enchantress recruits an amoral mercenary to save the souls of her two children, who were murdered and cursed by inquisitors. But to do that, they must brave the Five Rivers, infiltrate the Church's citadel, and vanquish the most powerful adversary of all. The Malevolent God Who Created This World in the First Place. And of course, this, this book is now available everywhere. And you, of course, can order it over on TKO's website. So when I was reading this, Z, I was
1: I don't know if you've ever read the book Excellence uh, by uh, uh, Carrie Randolph. Uh, but like when I was reading this book, I got a lot of the vibes from that, from especially the artwork. And then as I'm reading the story, it's felt like one of those epic two-part episodes from Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, Where did you get the idea for this story? And what were some of the inspirations for, for writing this particular book?
2: So I, I'd wanted to write a fantasy book for a while and, um, spent some time, uh, just thinking about a new way in to a fantasy book and thinking about kind of like the, that that kind of crossover between fantasy and sci-fi And I think sometimes that's kind of like mixed throughout. And my approach to this book is wanting to tell a story that initially felt like, you know, a fantasy book that you've seen kind of some of the imagery of, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, some of the fantasy stuff that I think has crossed over into popular culture, but then have it take a hard right turn into sci-fi towards the end the uh, end of the book. And wanting to do, um, something that was ambitious and also trying to figure out like, who is the the scariest bad guy that we could pit our heroes against? And it was like, what if they're trying to kill the God who created the world oh. and exploring those themes of like um, belief and also like organized religion and also where normal people, you know, or ordinary people just kind of fall um, Within a society that is ruled by organized religion. And, um, you know, we looked at a lot of different styles of artwork. I'm glad that you kind of brought up Tony's artwork. And Tony really stood out to us because of the scope of what he likes to do. So even in the first few pages, you can see he's doing this gigantic battle sequence and, you know, wanting to bring an artist on who had that ambition and wanted to. Really tell a story on an epic scale
0: so when it came to working with Tony I mean like I see I texted Joe this after I read I think the first chapter of the forgotten blade and looking at it and thinking like I've never seen like, we've seen dystopias before but I don't know if I've ever seen like what feels like an ancient Dystopia, and as I'm reading this, it's exactly what I get from Tony's artwork. And I'm curious, like when for you, as you're writing this story and getting pages back from Tony as he's going through the process, uh, did that at all impact how you kind of handled things from chapter to chapter and like certain little minor details um, within the panels?
2: You know, so there's because TKO does the binge release model. Um, you know, a lot of comic books companies um, release their books on a monthly schedule. Um, TKO we, because we binged the book and because I was working on the script for such a long time before Tony came on board, um, Tony actually got the benefit of having all six issues scripts before he started working on the the title. And I think there's, there's sometimes something that's good in monthly comics where, you know, as you get the artwork back and as you do the next issue, the writer can kind of adjust certain things um, based on the way the artwork's coming through, or, you know, maybe you fall in love with a character that you didn't think was going to be rendered in a certain way, and then you just want to write more for them. Um, This was something where, you know, the flip side of it with TKO is that a lot lot of time we do have most of the scripts finished before the artist starts. And so they can really look at um, the world and the story, the arc, and kind of create a cohesive visual language that goes throughout the story, as opposed to only being able to see the first, you know, 24, 30 pages and then having to kind of wing it as you go along. Um, And with Tony, he just did a lot of visual development for the story. And it was a lot of back and forth, big picture early on. Um, In terms of character design, as you can see, like he put so much effort into the way the characters look, you know, with the way their faces react. Like we really like, you know, my editor-in-chief, Sebastian Gerner, and I really like, Artists who take a lot of time into like face acting and like making sure that you know the the characters are really expressive and you know that was one of the things that we worked with Tony a lot on um, over the course of the kind of like the, the the visual development process.
1: So how did you two actually come together and decide that he was you know the really the right fit for this story that you wanted to tell?
2: So Sebastian, um, our editor in chief, does a lot of outreach and he tracks a lot of. Uh, creators so you know he has this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of like who's out there Um, he worked at Marvel for a while and then he did a lot of image titles he's a writer himself and you know I think that his tastes really align with TKO's taste and that they're we kind of like to cast um, artists that are maybe not as mainstream or you know they might not you know we very often will find artists that maybe they have done superhero books before, but they don't they're not necessarily in that kind of house style. And so the artists that we've worked with before that are kind of outside of that, you know, Tony obviously he has done some Batman stuff, but you know, he he has such a, a voice and he has such a unique style. And we that that's something that we always really gravitate towards. And Sebastian just kind of found him, I think, on Instagram and showed me a few panels, and I was like, Let's 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 get in touch you know
1: yeah that's awesome because i've got i got a stack of tko books here now and i'm looking at you know sentient by jeff lemire but Gab- gabrielle walter's art on that is fantastic uh you know red fork uh vendro's art on that is tremendous and then good night paradise right uh, Ponticelli, uh you know that like those stories like the art that you guys find for these you know stories is so spot on the vibe fits you know the art and the story just really come together and so when you were working on you know forgotten blade you know was there a lot of direction from your part in terms of what you know you wanted uh you know for there to be in the art or did you just you know uh let tony you know do his thing
2: well i think that one of the great things about working with a fantastic artist like tony is You have a idea and a picture of what things look like when you go into it. And he just pluses everything on every level, you know, from the character design uh, to, you know, the colors, to the line art, to the world building, like, you know, so much of it was so much more ambitious and detailed than anything that I could have really imagined. Um, And I'm I'm really glad that you're picking up on the artwork for our other titles, too, because you know, one of the things that at the company we really pride ourselves on is creating a structure where artists can do their best work. And, you know, that's writers, artists, colorists, letterers, designers, because we're not tied to a monthly schedule. You know, I remember when uh, I first started talking to Gabriel Walta about Sentient and he wanted to come on board. We were excited to bring him on board. And I found this one image on Twitter that he had done and the colors for it were beautiful. We we're trying to figure out like who we were going to use to color him. And he said, um, I was like, who colored this, Gabriel? And he was like, oh, I colored it. I'm, I'm a classically trained painter. And <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Well, I can see that. Um, well, could you color this book? He was like, it'll take no, It'll take me 10 weeks per issue. And I was like, then we're going to give you 10 weeks per issue. And so that's why, you know, giving an artist or a writer colorist enough time to do a book like this because Mm -hmm. the forgotten blade sentient sarah um red fork you know those are not uh and and you know for most of almost all of our titles those are not titles where the artwork could be done on a monthly schedule we usually give them you know more time and you know i think it's nice for artists to be able to kind of step back and be like okay well instead of squeezing myself into a Predetermined schedule. Let me just do what's right for the book and do the work that I can be the most proud of.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no question when you look at the art styles across the board. I mean, bring up Red Fork and then there's the pull. Just in that wave alone, right? Because there's Red Fork, the pull, and Savage Nights. Yeah, all came out together and all very different things, but all awesome visually um, in their own way um, but of course we mentioned seven deadly sins earlier and the fearsome dr fang two other books that you've written under the tko umbrella and i know with those two it's kind of more it's not high fantasy like we're getting with the forgotten blade and i know you alluded to it a little bit earlier how you wanted to write this you know fantasy story but heading into something like this i know you provide that like data page type thing at the start of the story, which was very helpful. But I'm curious for you, what else is there that you have to consider as you're trying to build this world and make it as easy as possible for readers to immerse themselves in, in just a six issue story?
2: So it was certainly one of the more ambitious world building things that I've done. You know, I think seven deadly sins, there's a, a context for the world because it's a Western that takes place in a very specific time period um, fearsome dr fang is a you know, like a tongue-in-cheek subversive reimagining of like a fu manchu bad guy and what if that bad guy was actually a good guy working undercover hmm. and for the forgotten blade you know one of the first things i did I'm actually i wrote this so long ago, i'm glad you guys are asking this because i actually forgot a lot of this stuff um just because it took it took so long to like you know get an artist on board and tony you know really did his such incredible work on it but i think i probably wrote this book but four four years ago Wow. One of the first things I did, because I wanted to make sure that the world had a cohesive history, Um, and maybe we'll put this into a hardcover edition at some point, but I wrote a history of the world, um, like 10 pages, and it was like, how long has there been organized religion? How long has there been civilization? How long has there been the written word? How long has there been spoken word? You know, what is the earliest time period that people have written about and how much further beyond that did the world exist? And so really creating something where it was a reference point. And, you know, it's a lot of the stuff that a reader might not take away when they're reading the book. But for me, as I was writing, getting the confidence to say, okay, if I were to wake up in this world, what would I know? What would I not know? you know, what do I know about the history? How did the culture emerge? Um, And a lot of that stuff doesn't really end up on the page, but I find that it's super helpful, you know, as I'm, as I'm going through. And it was also very helpful for someone like Tony who puts so much detail in the books. And so, you know, something like how long has the Citadel been around for and Mm -hmm. why does that look so different than the subterranean structures? And why does that look different than some of the architecture in the other areas so it was it was definitely a helpful reference point but that that was kind of how we st- how I started writing the book.
1: It'd be awesome if you made that like a little TKO short to put in with the box set, you know, mm-hmm. with the single issues. I've got a couple box sets here. I, I love getting those. Uh, one of the things I loved and again it's one of the the visually stunning, you know, pages that you get is the picture of the citadel and you get the the bright colors of the five rivers. Coming into it, where did that idea of having the five rivers, each sort of representing a different sort of philosophical aspect of life, come into play uh, for this story? So, spoilers um, for the book. <laughs> but thinking
2: about the prehistory of the civilization and what you know, there's a there's a twist at the end of the book. Well, um, where it's a, few there's, yeah. there's a few of them. there's a few of them. <laughs> there was
0: one Joe <laughs> and I were talking about before about a certain asshole, I guess we'll call him, yeah. that like totally caught us off guard, and it was such yeah. a nice like. What? Where did this come from? Great addition.
2: I mean, you know, one of the things was trying to figure out like, okay, what are elements that you see that are just visual early on, like the five rivers, like the citadel, which feel magical and at the end you kind of understand what the origin for those are visually but they're actually based in like quote-unquote science like fantasy sci-fi science um and also wanting to tell a story where the origins of the world had been lost to time to such an extent that things had been um essentially mythology had been weaponized by the people in power in order to keep control of the world that you know exists in 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 this story
0: Mm -hmm. and i mean like seeing it come out now too with everything kind of going on in the world um like did you i guess like Because we've seen different stories pop up, like, you know, pandemic stories following the pandemic or even during the pandemic, um, certain things. It's just the timing. You couldn't necessarily see that coming. But when you talk about that here with the the religion kind of taking things over, I know we're talking about different things that are going on in the world, but it is kind of adjacent. And I know you are very socially conscious. I've seen on Twitter. Um, Does that at all have an impact on how you feel about the timing of when your book came out or is it just not a thing you worry about?
2: you know there's just there's there's there seems to be a new thing every week so it's like it's really (laughs) tough to (laughs) it's like um but i i i try to engage with you know i don't really when i start writing about a topic i you know i i i try to approach it like uh like a exploration of what that topic is and trying to figure out kind of how I feel about it. And to me, you know, there's themes in this story that are, you know, about God, creation, existing religion, organized religion, faith. And these are all things I think about a lot. And I'm trying to look at how I feel about, you know, I think that there's, I think that to me, there's a, there's a there's such a difference between faith in something or a higher power and somebody uh, in power, mm-hmm. a human being or a, uh, um, an organization that is between you and that belief. And I think that that's kind of what this is about in that, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist but you know i i know a lot of my friends are who are religious and you know that faith is something that i've always felt like i you know i kind of wish that i could feel that and i also feel that some of my inability to feel that is because of looking at you know things like you know i grew up in, in boston you know and it's like you know no the, way how did yeah, we the, know i know mean, this <laughs> yeah we're from Massachusetts like too, so catholic church and like yep. certain things that happened like it's it's very difficult to put you know my faith in an organization that is um, between me and some kind of faith in a higher power but yeah Randolph baby where are you guys from Oh, uh,
0: okay. currently in Dedham but I grew up in okay. nice, a little more North Shore and I grew up in Westport and currently I'm in uh, Fall River so you know okay, North. yeah, yeah South shore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually so on, on this note about all this religion stuff so for me This book is like definitely up my alley. Like I I like reading a wide variety of stuff. Of course, we've talked about all the books you guys have. You have a ton of variety. But when you're talking about faith versus religion and kind of exposing that and talking about that that kind of hard conversation, I'm always interested in that sort of thing. Um, Joe brought up that book Excellence, like that they're talking about you know faith and religion and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff in there along with other social issues. But I'm curious um, when it comes to writing this. Anytime you're writing about a, a any, any subject matter. Cause every comics about more than what we're just seeing with like the action and everything we talk, about sometimes Joe and I talk about how things can be feel a little on the nose. And I don't get that at all in the forgotten blade whatsoever. And I'm curious, is that something that comes across, um, you know, in your head when you're kind of thinking about what you're writing about and the, the tackling this, you know, major social issue.
2: I think that a lot of it has to deal with really tying all the, you know, it's thinking about all those themes and thinking about what they mean. Um, But for for me, it's like, even stuff like writing that huge history of the world, you know, a lot of those things happen during the exploratory phase and like the brainstorming phase. And then when you get into it, like I really also wanted this to be a crazy action fantasy with like, like two really kind of like atypical main characters. And one of the ways I approached that and you know, thank you for saying that. You know, I, I, the thematics are not on the nose. You know, part of wanting to do um, to make our main character who he was is that, you know, I think that sometimes fantasy can feel very, I don't know how to describe like like highfalutin. And like, <laughs> I, I still wanted to do that. I wanted something like really ambitious and crazy, but I, I found that the way that I could undercut that and make it more palatable is. So Ruza, Ruza the Unwashed, like our main, one of our main characters, my way of writing him was he's in this high fantasy world. That's very highfalutin, but like, he's kind of just like a modern dude Mm. who like really kind of likes to take the piss out of everything. And so like wanting that, having that attitude so that um, someone who was going in, who maybe, you know, maybe if they're, and I also want to write this for people who like, might not even be fans of fantasy. And maybe this would be a gateway for them and to have a main character who was kind of looking at these things and kind of like making fun of them a little bit. <laughs> um, that was, that was kind of the strategy going into it.
1: Yeah. Cause you, you really do like you, you get that really cool balance where it, it feels a little dystopian. It feels a little sci-fi. It feels a little fantasy. It never feels like it goes over the top in in, in any which way. And you know what once you get into it you know i just i was telling nick like there was a certain point where i'm reading it and then all of a sudden it just flies and whenever i say like i flew you know through a book on the show it's the one of the highest compliments i give because you just you know being an avid reader of not just you know comic books but books in general once you're in that world it the pages just fly by you get so engrossed by it and that there's I, I i don't want to give anything away but there's that certain point where all of a sudden it's just like a rocket ship and you blast off and you get this this epic ending um but as you're writing you know as you were writing this was there a character that you know you sort of you know um were the most attached to you know and, and sort of your favorite to write throughout
2: you know when i when i write i and even when it's something with you know, two characters or three main characters or something like an ensemble with seven deadly sins. I really try to, and sometimes it takes me a few passes on a script where I, I want to get to a point always where I really love this character and I love a, a part of them that is also me And with Seven Deadly Sins, I wanted to make sure, besides one dude who's just like a total asshole, um, (laughs) within the Seven Deadly Sins, I wanted to find something about each character that I truly loved and that like maybe they don't take up the most time in terms of number of panels or dialogue. But, you know, even something like there's a character named Hogg who's a Confederate cannibal. And I remember trying to figure out a way into it and or ex-Confederate soldiers who, who was a cannibal, who's now, you know, in this motley crew of criminals. And I was just trying to figure out something that would make me identify with him and, and, and like him. And I remember there was one point where I was writing character breakdowns and I wrote a sentence that was something like, you know, a person who has only ever known abuse and only, wants love and it was like okay no one's gonna know that but like i know that when i'm writing him and like i'm that's always going to be with me as i'm like okay how do i find how do i try to make people care about this character as much as um, as i do and it's hard to get to it, you know it sometimes takes a long time to get to that point but with rusa and noah you know wanting to figure out like what is it that makes me that makes me love those characters. And until I get to that point, it's really hard to, to, to really start writing the story, because if I don't care about the characters, I, I don't know how anyone else can.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then you get to the ending here, right. And Joe talked about how it was an epic ending. And I know you gave a little spoiler warning earlier, but we don't want to get into uh, the ending of this outside of saying that you left things, it, things can end right here and you could never come back to the forgotten blade. And as much as Joe and I would like you to, we would still be left satisfied. And I think most readers would as well, but you could do more in this world if you wanted to, um, have you thought about, you know, already that you may want to, or do you think it's just like, this is it, six issues and I'm done.
2: You know, even with, for a lot of our TKO titles, um, you know, we like to, we, we want to do two things with these, uh, TKO title. We want it to be a satisfying standalone book, um, but also we want to leave it open for um, sequel volumes. And so The Forgotten Blade, and we, we we always put at the beginning of each book, you know, a, TKO presents a world by and then the creators. And part of that is we always want this to feel like a world that you're dropped into. And that you can always, you know, return to it down the road. And you know, we haven't done um, a sequel volume, except we're we're doing a a sequel volume to Lonesome Days, Savage Nights, written by my co-founder Sal Simeone. Um, that one is awesome, and you know, it's again, it takes place in that world with that main character. So we're, I mean, I'm I'm totally open to doing another Forgotten Blade. It was it was such a fun ride. Um, we do it you'll see it another six years but <laughs> it, was, it was it was really fun and just seeing what tony did with the story was really incredible
0: yeah it was it's crazy it's a wild visual experience i mean like as much as there are similarities and like we've seen similar art styles or maybe vibes it's just it's still very unique in itself um so yeah we'd love to see more of it but Again, understand if you end up not coming back to it for a while down the line. But speaking of of Sal Simeone and TKO on the whole, we did want to ask you a few questions about the the company on the whole, because Joe and I, like we said, we've talked about it quite a bit on here. Um, You know, we love the, you know, being able to binge things all at once. I think it's great to have that in the space and wouldn't mind if more companies did that. So often, I think, you know, we look at the business and how there are sometimes issues with monthly issues and people do the trade waiting. This kind of does take some things out of it, but TK, of course was founded five years ago. I don't know the exact date that it was founded, um, but we're co- either coming up on that anniversary, we've already celebrated that anniversary
2: yeah, so we we started work on the company about five years ago, and crazily, we've only really been around for three three and a half years, um, and we launched I think December of two thousand and eighteen, and so we've like actually been a company in a pandemic for most of the time.
0: Wow, that's just... <laughs> feels
2: nuts. Yeah. That's brutal. Um, but yeah, we, you know. um, so Sal, Sal, my co-founder, and I, um, we've known each other since I was 16. Um, his son is one of my best friends, and he's always been a friend and mentor to me. And um, actually, I met him and his family when I was 16 on a cruise that my family won, which is the subject of an Apple, an episode of Little America on Apple that I wrote and directed. So it's autobiographical. It's, I think, the sixth or seventh episode. If you have Apple TV, look up grand prize expo winners. And um, Sal's son uh, and I played magic, the gathering together, which by the way, looking back on it was probably a pretty big influence on forgotten blade because I was a big magic, the gathering fan
0: huh.
2: when I was a kid and we've always kept in touch. Um, he's this really interesting guy uh, Grew, up, I mean, really working class in Brooklyn and self-made, um and um has founded a bunch of businesses he's been uh he, he owns a software company he's owned a video game company he's been a race car driver he's had this like he's he's uh he's at a horse farm like he's, he's had this like incredible life where he's moved from different um industries and really just has like a business sixth sense and we've always wanted to figure out something to do together and you know I'm was a big I'm a big comic book fan. I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid and he's a big literature guy so we're like let's go into publishing and that's how TKO was born. We very quickly brought on Sebastian Gerner. We needed somebody who was you know I, I had been in co- into comics but as a fan, you know never somebody working in the industry.
1: Mm.
2: And um actually weirdly like, uh Pornsack Shot who did um The Good, the good Asian. Asian. Yep. Uh he he's he was like the one per- we had our we had short films in the same like horrible short film festival in Brooklyn when we were like 25 and we always knew each other. And so Pornstap was working at DC and, you know, then he was doing independent stuff and he introduced us to Sebastian and it was, it was really fortuitous.
0: So when you look back on all of this, I mean, you know, beyond the formation to now uh, what stands out most to you about what the company has turned into and been able to accomplish um, in such a short period of time and in the middle of a pandemic?
2: You know, this was my first experience starting a company. And, you know, Sal has had a lot of experience in a lot of different industries. And so, you know, I think that it's kind of been a a really great, like, dual learning process where he's learning more about comics and the film and entertainment side of things, which, um, you know, TKO is very actively pursuing. And I learned a lot of, like, business and management skills. Um, You know, I came up through independent film, and, you know, that's a different thing. That's like, you know, you make a movie that's like a short-term then you're dealing with a certain number of people. You have to be a leader, but it's not leadership in a sustained way where you're really building a business from nothing. And that to me was really interesting, you know, going from the initial concept, putting together those first four titles, uh, putting together our business plan, looking at how we were going to do things differently and working out all of those different elements. Those That was completely foreign to me. And, um, I'm really proud of like the fact that we've really been only around for three and a half years and we're really proud of the books that we've come up with and we do think that we were, we're getting into film and TV production, and being able to really control the quality, as we are, you know, bringing these things to adaptations
1: give me a Red Fork movie and give it to me now. <laughs> I'm a giant scaredy cat, and but I love horror comics and that would just absolutely terrify me, um, which wouldn't be off awesome at the same time. But you talked about, you know, at TKO studios wanting, you know, to, to do something different, wanting to be a little different. You talked, you know, earlier about when, you know, wanting to give writers and artists the time they need, you know, to put these, you know, books together. So, You know, at TK Studios, as Nick mentioned earlier, you guys you 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 put out just these great, you know, all-in-one graphic novels. What are some of the pros and cons of publishing the entire story, you know, all together, you know, versus the single issues? Because I know when Nick and I talk about books, we always talk about that first issue. You know, does it hook us in? Does it reel us in? Does it make us want to buy? that second issue and you don't really have that here. So what are some, some pros and cons that you you found with this method?
2: So, you know, creatively we really liked being able to look at all the scripts and know where the story was going, because I find, you know, sometimes when you're doing a six issue series monthly, like, you know, vaguely where something is going down the road, but like, you know, we really worked out all the pitches and all the story arcs before, you know, pretty 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 uh i mean i don't even know why i'm stumbling on these words um (laughs) a lot of a lot of the a lot of the stories are kind of like finished in terms of script form um before the artist comes on board and i do think that's super helpful in terms of like looking at the story as a whole and giving the artist that opportunity of knowing like what is in store um creatively we still look at the stories as needing a, a hook and needing something that draw the uh, the reader in, which is why sometimes we'll do a longer first issue. Um, typically our 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 single issues or our chapters are 24 pages, but the first issue is typically longer. It can be like 30, 32 pages. We want to get deep enough into the story where the hook of the story is there. And so that's one of the kind of creative mandates as we, as we go through. So the first issue doesn't feel like it's treading water or spending all the time with setup, like really making sure that first issue sings or the first chapter rather, like when it's published in a trade sings that way, if somebody picks it up and they want to just, you know, read the first few pages, like we, we want to make sure that the hook happens relatively quickly. Um, and, you know, from a, from a perspective of selling, you know, one of the things that we wanted to make sure as a new company and why we wanted to binge release was, You know, we've seen companies come and go in comics. You know, it's one of these industries where publishers that are around one day, you know, six months later, sometimes sometimes companies are announced and then they just never happen, you know. And we wanted to show that we had staying power and we wanted to show that we were really serious about creating great books for fans. And, you know, the binge releasing was one way to do it. You know, when we launched, it wasn't like, hey, guys, like this is something that's happening down the road. It was like we're launching today, and we have four full series finished that you can buy today, and we have four more coming out in you know six months, and that was really important to us to gain the um, the trust of the fans, and also, you know, I think that people's buying habits are a little bit different right now, and I oh, think yeah. that trying to figure out a way where the stores can really benefit from binge releasing meaning like one way I put it is you know if you're a manager or an employee at a store and you have a great single issue that's come in and you love it and you spend all this time talking to a customer and the customer buys that single issue that's great you know but that customer has to come back every month for six months to buy out that whole arc and who knows what could happen during that time whereas if that same employee or manager or whatever um store owner says i love this tko title i think that you're going to like it as well we just know that we'll capture that wholesale for the mm-hmm. for the for the store and you know it's certainly been a growing process like and you know we were really proud of being able to support the so- stores during you know covid-19 like very early on we saw how tough it was i mean this was like when store closures were first starting and because we're a really nimble company and we can get things done very quickly, it's really, you know, just a small group of people who can make the decision on the phone in an hour. You know, I, I, I talked to Sal about, you know, what was happening with the stores and we came up with this COVID-19 initiative that day where, you know, we would create a database of stores and anybody who was buying from TKO could send 50% of the sale to a store of their choosing. That's your local comic book shop. And we sent over 1,200 checks to 600 stores over that three-month period. And it's like those are the types of things that we're really proud of at TKO is being able to make decisions quickly and like adjust things and, and do things that are good for, for comics and for, for fans of comics.
0: That's huge. I mean, when Joe and I have talked to other creators in the business. It's always, we always hear about how tight knit and how close the industry is. And I mean, like, you know, if you're a good person in this industry, usually you're going to make friends and then people want to help each other out. Um, you know, when it's, when you're dealing with other good people. So that's awesome to hear that you guys are able to do, you know, go kind of above and beyond what even like, you know, normal creators are able to do. Um, and one thing you, you, I noticed you mentioned it a few times where, you guys bring in the artists afterwards, you bring in the artists in. I'm curious, do you guys usually get creative teams that come to you with an idea or is it usually just a writer that comes to you with an idea and then you bring in an artist a little bit later on?
2: So we're very flexible. Um, we can kind of put together projects any which way we just have to really believe in the project. And so, you know, something like Sarah, like we pulled the trigger on we got said, you know, Russian female snipers, World War II. Totally. I so good.
0: I, I, I got to tell you see, that I've, I actually, my fiance read it. She never read comics. And I said this, if you're going to read a comic, this is the one you should read. And I honestly think that's like one of the few books I say, anybody can read this and enjoy it. Like if you want to check out comics, pick up Sarah. Yeah,
1: it was, it was funny too. Cause when we talked to Axel Alonso about Preacher, I asked him like, well, what was the pitch You know, by Garth, you know, to get you to to do preacher, and he just said Garth Ennis, and and that was it. That was it.
2: (laughs) I mean, Garth Garth is amazing, and and part of the reason I mean, he came on. We just knew that we wanted the book, right? So we did deal with Garth, and we were just searching for an artist for a little bit. But you know, those scripts I think were all finished before Steve came on board because Garth is like, I don't know if you've ever had somebody talk to you guys about the way Garth works, but like, it's so remarkable. It's like. You'll be like, okay, I have time to work on the scripts now. And then, like, you'll get like an issue every week consistently <laughs> until it's done. And the scripts will come in and we'll look at them and it'll be like, so it's not even typos. Like what's happening? Like, it's just wow. it so clean and incredible. So that's amazing. I should like never see anything like it. So, um, So then, you know, but it was, again, one of these things where it was nice, then Steve could look at the, uh, we brought in Steve after Garth, you know, we, we obviously present. So just to back, back up, we've certainly been approached by people who have an artist in mind, Um, something like Red Fork, uh, Pecnatal and Vendril, I think were already, that was a pitch packet that they put together. Same with um Art and, P- and Ponticelli uh, for Goodnight Paradise. You know, those two had worked together on Unknown Soldier. And so we're certainly open if there's, you know, if the whole creative team is there, that's great. But then, you know, there's also times where, you know, Jeff, we want to work with Jeff Lemire. And, uh, you know, we worked on Sentient together. And we he was just kind of like, show me, let me know what artists you want to work with. And very often in that, you um, In that scenario, we'll say, um, come up with your dream artists, and we'll find one of them, and we'll almost always be able to make that work.
1: Yeah, because I'm looking at, you know, one of the things I love that you guys do is you sell the the graphic novels, but you can also have the option to buy, like, the single issue. So this doesn't work well uh, for for a podcast because people can't see it, but I've got here the the Sentient signed uh, box set by Jeff Lemire, but I love these issues generally I have a, an issue with the oversized uh, issues because I can't like put them in a long box they don't fit mm-hmm. but the box set that that you guys put together that option is is absolutely fantastic and is it's wondering where did where did the idea to sort of come up you know the, where did the idea come from to like you know offer it in a couple of different formats for people
2: you know I think one of the things we talked about early on was um, how do we essentially allow fans to buy the books in whatever format they, they want. And we felt that, you know, obviously we would provide them digitally, trade paperback. And then we were really trying to figure out a way where um, from a branding perspective, we could really make a splash with the single issues. And we felt like, okay, if we're going to binge release these, why don't we do something that's really like beautiful and let's do the oversized single issues and, you know, we wanted people who had never really bought comics to look at the single issue box set and be like, you know, I'm just like, I just love like beautiful things, like things who, people who are maybe like shoe collectors or whatever. And then, but sometimes if you buy single issues and you're not, if you're not like a serious collector, you don't even know where to put them. And so we mm. said, okay, well, put them in a box set and it goes on a shelf. You know, it's not hidden somewhere like in a, and then also, this was like kind of like a marketing thing. You know, the first two waves of books, maybe the first three waves, um, the back of all the box sets when they're put together spell out TKO. So there's this is like really crazy, like big design that uh, that was just so that if people were, you know, it looks great when it's displayed in a store, but also if like you're a collector and you're like, okay, well, I have three of them. I might as well just get the fourth one. That way they can like, right. I can have the whole. TKO logo on the back. Yeah, because I think then the you first
1: gotta... box that I bought. I'm oh, sorry, Nick was Seven Deadly Sins because I think it was your birthday and tk was running a promo, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, yeah, yeah, let me grab, let me grab the box that because Nick had read the book on the show. So I and because uh, that's you know the premise of our our show is that you know we each read a book that the other person hasn't read, and then you know we we try and you know sell them or tell them about the mm-hmm. books we want to get people excited about. It. So like it's like, Oh, seven deadly sins. It's, it's Z's birthday. Oh yeah. I'll get the box set instead of just the, the, regular graphic novel. And then I was like, Oh, I read sentient. Let me get the box set, but let me, let me get this one signed by, by Jeff. So, I mean, I just, I just love that, you know, you know, the, the different options that you guys present. Yeah. It's really cool.
2: Yeah. I know. mean, I think, you know, I, I'm, I grew up reading comics and like there's still something really special, about single issues um, that I really love. Um, and we're going to be doing, you know, more formats. We're going to be doing um, Sarah and Sentient hardcovers with like a ton of of back matter um, and unseen kind of character designs, things like that. And like the hardcovers look awesome. <laughs> I mean, they're like, I think Sentient has like a glow in the dark cover. Sarah's die cut. Like um, Steve Upting did like a whole new uh, double page spread um, for the inside cover. It's like it, they're they're going to look bonkers.
0: Nah, Jeez, nice. You didn't get Joe to buy another Jeff Lemire thing. Right? That's, like <laughs> stuff. that's nuts. I mean, even that, that's getting more Sarah stuff though. I kind of like the sound of that too. Um, but when we talk about you, so obviously those are the awesome stories that we've already gotten. And I know we're just getting this fourth wave around now. Um, but when you look at, when you look moving forward, it, what type of stories do you want to be told at TKO? Is there anything in particular you have at mind, in mind at all or um, like certain voices or anything like that you want to be hearing from?
2: You know, for us, it's more about what is that, what is that kind of silver bullet idea? You know, what is that, um, you know, when I talk to creators, one of the things I say is kind of like the TKO brand is, you know, what is a new, what is a character driven, emotional, new take into an established genre? So you know, something like Goodnight Paradise is a murder mystery, but it's just a murder mystery from a POV we haven't really seen before. Um, and same with Sarah. Like that was, you know, we love Garth's uh, war stories. And this was just something where I was like, oh, it's you know that idea of like Soviet female snipers in World War II. Like I was like, that's that's we want to do that. Um, and that's where a lot of it starts. It's kind of like, can we can we can somebody bring us a concept that we just like absolutely believe in? Because, you know, these, these books take a long time to put together and we care about each one. We not just take a long, like, it doesn't just take a lot of effort to put the book together, but we really take a lot of care in terms of like marketing and pushing them out there into the world. And, you know, I think that it all starts with what is that idea that's kind of undeniable.
0: I think for us as consumers, as much as Joe and I are always like, we want more, we want more because we just, we're reading as much as we can with you know from the companies that we like. There is something too, that you guys only put out so much stuff when you talk about, you know, that you care about, you care about each book, like just that alone kind of gets that message across, I think, to us as consumers all the time.
2: Yeah. And the way that we look at things is, you know, first off, I appreciate you guys saying that. And it's also, you know, I can tell that you guys are, are avid readers of, of comics. And, you know, one one of the things that we really want to do is, you know, each wave that we put out, you know, we want the quality of it where there's like a certain quality that's associated with TKO and that anybody who picks up a TKO book and then say, okay, well, I didn't know about this company, but let me look back and see what else there is. And like, not have anything that is just inconsistent in terms of quality. And so that quality control takes a lot of effort and time and goes, it's, you know, choosing the writers and artists and working with them and making sure that they're doing their best work. And, you know, I think that right now in terms of our infrastructure, we, you know, we're, we want to publish like eight to 10 titles a year, and that might change. We might do more down the road, but really like that's what we feel comfortable with right now. And, you know, in, it's still you know as readers discover books with each wave it's been really nice to see them going back and buying our earlier titles you know something like Sarah and Sentient and Seven Deadly, Red Fork, um, Lonesome Days like I mean honestly it's all of our books like it's not like they just kind of trail off which has been really interesting they're all kind of like perennial sellers like as we release our titles, we just find that they're really consistent monthly sales, you know, off of our site and on Amazon. People are, you know, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah still sells. I think monthly, like the same that it sold when we launched.
1: It's awesome. It should keep selling. Yeah. yeah, well, and and that's the other thing you guys do really well is that you you we we gripe about this all the time, but you guys write really. Great synopsis, right? So, like when I go <laughs> onto your website and when I'm you know, when you know I'm looking at a book, and I start looking at other ones to buy, like, oh that, that sounds badass. Let, let me grab that. So it's how I grabbed sentient. You know, I've got Eve of Extinction here as well, you know, like uh um you know uh Good Night Paradise, right? Like you just like, oh shit, that sounds awesome. And then you guys also have those little you know TKO shorts that you'll mm-hmm. you know that are you know quick you know, little reads, but they're fantastic. So, like, we can't stress enough how important those synopsises are, because a shitty well, synopsis will make someone just look the other way. Yeah.
2: You know, well, it's funny because so a lot, so I, you know, I, I typically will either write them or I'll do a pass on them simply because in, in the film and TV world, like, you, you write a lot of synopses because you have to be able to pitch something in, like, two, three sentences. And so that it was certainly, like, a process of, like, Okay, let's go through and 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 we definitely took a lot of care. You know, the whole creative teams and and Sebastian and I like making sure that those synopses were like, you know, very clear what the the, the book was.
0: So I do want to mention that, you know, we're talking about all these different ones. I, we haven't mentioned pound for pound or the banks. Oh, yes. I still haven't read the banks. I have to, I have to pick that one up, but pound for pound of all the books you guys have put out so far, that may be have may have been the one that surprised me the most. Like I thought I, not that I didn't think it was going to be good going in, but I'm just like, ah, uh, I don't know. Like I'm not a big like MMA or anything like that kind of guy or wrestling anything to that degree. And then I read it and then I was just like, holy shit. Like this was awesome. This it totally caught me off guard. Um, And that one's done really well on our show, download-wise. Oh, has it? On was a big one, yeah. There you go. Um, But when you look at, um, you know, we talk about all these big names, too. I know we mentioned, like, the stories, different stories, and talking about your creative teams and how you guys put them together. Are you guys trying to have more established, you know, some and sometimes big names um, attached to your project? I know with the artists, you kind of mix it up a little bit more so. But is it the same with the writers, too? Or do you want to bring in new names or kind of have a mix?
2: You know, we really like to have a mix because for us, a lot of it has to do with, you know, that that golden concept and creative team can kind of come from anywhere. Um, You know, someone like Juni Ba, who was kind of uh, that pitch came in completely clean, like we didn't really know him. Um, and I think we pulled the trigger on that, like within a day. You know, we were just, it was so clear that he was so talented, but we didn't, you know, we didn't really know him or anything like that. Same with um, Black Mass Rising, you know, Theo Prasidas and Jody Muir, you know, they sent over um, like a five page pitch document and it had like three pages of art and, you know, we looked at it internally and again, within a day we sent them an offer. So, you know, I think for us, it really can come from anywhere obviously established writers and artists they have access to us they can email us but like i have really prided myself at comic book conventions on social media about being very open about like and approachable because you know i see this in the entertainment industry and it's the same with comics like you gatekeeping is never good for the art form it's only bad and you know, to have a, I wanted to, you know, we, we wanted to do everything differently at TKO. One of the things that we wanted to do differently was to be extremely open to creators. We're very open to them about, you know, what, you know, we'll talk about creatively, what the process is monetarily, what the process is all in the first conversation, because people should know everything about what they're getting into right off the bat. That way there's nothing hidden from them. And then, You know, on a on a personal level, I want to be as open and um, approachable as possible, because it's always hard when you're trying to break into an industry. I see it in film. I see it in TV. I see it in comics. It feels like there's no pathway in. There's not even someone you can ask. And like, that's why, you know, on Twitter, like I'm very, very open. If anybody asks me a question, like I will try my best to answer it because Mm -hmm sometimes 30 seconds of answering a question like that might save that person two years of their life of trying to break into an industry and doing the wrong thing. I certainly did a lot of things that I wouldn't do again. And if I had had a mentor to just be like, no, why are you trying to find an agent? No agent's <laughs> going to rep you right now. You're nobody. Like i could have saved like two
0: years of cold
2: calling, <laughs> uh, cold emailing folks and
0: being humiliated for two years. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, <brutal. laughs> um, so the last thing, Z, because we know you are a busy man, you got a lot of other stuff that Joe and I didn't even touch on. When we we're introducing you. The last thing we wanted to ask you about that. We always ask people for, that are first time guests. Um, you know, we, Joe mentioned what the premise of our show is. So we're curious whether it be prose or comics, or I don't even know what the hell else. Um, what are you, what have you been reading lately?
2: Um, I've been reading first off. I, I read a lot of old cookbooks. I know that that's not like wow, probably the answer that you guys were looking for. <laughs> it's a, whatever answer you have is the answer. There's no, right. I'm a fat
1: guy, I love food, so yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I weirdly think maybe it's a more interesting answer than the other stuff I'm like gen- generally reading simply because. I, what I've, what I found really interesting about old cookbooks, especially they have these things called spiral bound cookbooks, which, you know, are from speci- like, they're like used for fundraisers for certain communities and you can get them on eBay. You can get like six of them for $25. Cause who wants a cookbook from the 1960s that mm-hmm. like, you know, some like parents organization published, but there's something so interesting about looking at what people cooked at a certain period of time and their personal stories that sometimes are attached to those cookbooks and those recipes and like it's like you're kind of being transported to a bunch of different places and a bunch of different time periods and i just think it's like an interesting cultural thing that like somehow doesn't feel like work because maybe you know in the back of my head like maybe i'll try this weird meatball recipe or whatever but like you know I, it's something that i, I honestly I started out, you know, in film. It became harder for me to watch movies. I started working TV, became harder for me to watch TV. Comics I can still read. Um, But like cookbooks are like the only thing I can really read that turns my mind off. Um, And so that's (laughs) like a nice respite in the middle of the day. Just
1: looking up a nice Swedish meatball recipe.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, but yeah, I, I would say Right now in terms of comics, like The Good Asian is really
0: incredible. Hmm. That must be nice. Yeah. So one of the things that happens on our show is that we, we sometimes have to call dibs with these monthly comics so we can, you know, for the show have something to talk about. I called dibs on The Good Asian when it came out. seemed like there was a ton of hype. This motherfucker over here decides, oh, I'm just going to read it. Forget the rules. Like, I'm just going to do my own thing. So. Completely forgot. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> had to wait a long time on that one. But you know what's funny, Z, is you bring up the, the cookbook thing as a weird, weird aside. Um, I, My fiance and I were at this place called the Library Restaurant in Portsmouth. Awesome place. They have a ton of random books. And she came across this one called uh, How to Help Your Man Lose Weight. And it's from like the 90s. But it's like this whole – like you talk about like a like a look back in time. This whole book was about how it's on like the wives, the mothers, women to help their man lose weight. And it's from like 1992 or 94 mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's just weird how like over time just, you know, such bullshit things were still happening even back and, then.
2: And I, I mean I, I have like – the oldest cookbooks I have are like from like the late 1800s. And it, it, they're so funny. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, like – you start your day so you make breakfast so you have to wake up at four in the morning and then like don't forget to like chop down the tree and make the firewood <laughs> it's like it, you know it
0: wow. was
2: it was terrible back then it's like yeah. everything you ate was just like all right how long do you have to boil the meat for to make it like you not die when you eat it
0: yeah <laughs> wow uh jeez oh, i guess we gotta to get to our hands on some of these joe and read them at the end of the show just one recipe right um, but of course this is z chun the writer of seven deadly sins the fearsome dr fang and the latest book to come out from tkos as part of their fourth wave the forgotten blade makes sure you go pick it up at your local comic shop if they don't have it there let them know to get it and if you can't if they still don't get it for you, you can order at tko's website as well z thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us hopefully we can catch up with you again down the line at some point Thank you, guys. This was really fun. Thank you very much. (laughs) I like Nick's just like, I'm out. All right, we're done.